Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Hey everyone, Randall here. The episode you're about to hear was previously only available to our patrons. It's part of our ongoing archive series in which we unpack some of the rarer work in King's canon, the uncollected and in some cases unpublished stories. In honor of the film festival we're hosting this weekend at Chicago's Music Box Theater, themed to Creep Show, we're unlocking our look at the stories behind the 1982 anthology. They include 1976's Weeds, which inspired Stephen King's Gonzo performance as Jody Verrill, 1979's The Crate and Pinfall, a segment that was storyboarded out for Creep Show 2 but didn't make it into the final film. If you like it, we just published a new Archives episode exploring King's essays and interviews in 1982, the year Creepshow hit theaters. You can sign up at patreon.com slash thebarons, B-A-R-R-E-N-S, thebarons, where we've got hundreds of hours of King and King-adjacent content. And if you're in Chicago, passes are still available for the festival, though our Friday night screening of The Shining is sold out. The good news is we're showing tons of other great flicks, including Dr. Sleep, Misery, Christine, Stand By Me, 1408, and of course, Creep Show, which will include a post-show Q&A with horror legend Greg Nicotero, a producer on Shudder's Creep Show and anthology uh we hope you enjoy the episode my friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you but if you want to make love then i do too and i'll be right there behind you Greetings, constant listeners, and welcome yet again to The Archives, a Patreon-exclusive series in which we dust off the moldy boxes in the basements, the ones where King's unpublished, uncollected, and ultra-rare work reside. In past episodes, we've discussed King's earliest writings, uh, the Gordy Lachance stories, and even King's garbage truck, the column he penned while at the University of Maine. Today, in honor of Spooky Season, we are going behind the curtain of Creepshow, Perhaps you've heard of it uh, on this podcast because we've got like nine episodes about it Uh, with some of the (laughs) material that inspired it. Uh, Let's introduce ourselves. Mike, say hello. And uh, have you seen Creepshow? You know, I have seen Creepshow. It's it's a favorite amongst the family. You know, every once in a while uh, we we gather around the TV, usually around spooky season. They say, hey, let's check out a bard named Stephen King and uh, an even better bard (laughs) named uh, George A. Romero. Uh, yes, no, I, I'm a huge fan of the Creep Show franchise, which I guess it is a franchise now, which is uh, yeah. weird to think about it. But uh, yes, this is Michael Regimen Rothman. Um, <laughs> I, when we, Reference nobody's going to get. I know they won't get it because it's a <laughs> fucking unknown story that we're going to be talking about probably at the tail end here. But I, my... Uh, my interest in this is gone from the beginning of this archive, uh, you know, idea that we had. Yeah, this is one of the first ones we discussed. Yeah, because when when Bryant sent all these over, Bryant Burnett. Um, Thanks, Bryant. Yeah, he said, thank you, uh, Losers Club historian. Um, when he sent yeah. these over, and I saw the notes, and it said that there, that there's the crate 
in here. I was like, and then also Weeds, which was originally supposed to be, you know, the Jordy Verrill store. I was like, holy shit. I didn't even know. I had known about the crepe, but I didn't know about Weeds. And so that was where I was immediately like, oh my God, like there's more to Creep Show. Because as you were mentioning and joking, like I, I feel like we've <laughs> carved this pumpkin that is Creep Show so much so that we like <laughs> skipped it on the commentary, the King yeah. commentaries. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to talk about these stories. Jen, have you been on any of our Creepshow content? If not, I, what is your relationship to Creepshow? Um, yeah, I did. I think I did a creep, um, a crate on Creepshow, mm, yeah. I think. That was like our yeah, third episode, um, I think, on the fucking movie. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I, I actually, I have seen this a couple of times. I am not a diehard Creepshow fan, although I do really enjoy it. But I didn't grow up watching it, so I watch it now. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. It's like fun. Um, anthology Halloween fun, but I don't find it scary at all, except for the roaches, which I absolutely hate. <laughs> um, but I really, really dug these stories, and I found them a lot scarier than I find the movie. So really excited to talk about it. And I, this is a Jen Justice for Wilma. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, uh, I think that was my. <laughs> I was looking forward was- to talking about this with you because I'm like. Oh, yeah. I'm like, man, they really don't have a very good reason for wanting to kill her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, they don't. Yeah. So in the movie that I think that was my nickname on the um, the crate episode. Mm-hmm. And I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to die on this hill then. So I kind of soft pedaled. But I'm ready to die on this hill. And I think episode. you have a little more room. I have for. a list of her crimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like one of the notes I think I had was like they, they really doubled down on trying to make uh, Willie like a villain in the movie versus here because there's really not a lot there. But well, anyway, we'll, oh, we'll discuss right. it in the final. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, many thoughts to come. <laughs> what about you, Randall? Uh, yeah, I've I'm not I've never been a big creep head, but I do <laughs> I do um I do like several sections of of it. I like the Ted Danson Leslie Nielsen one, and yeah. uh, because the like you want to talk about scary. I guess like that idea of being buried and like my your yes. head poking out of the sand and the tide coming in that is horrifying to me as somebody mm-hmm. who is afraid of dying and also or not uh, drowning not afraid of dying only drowning <laughs> uh but like but the idea too i guess like what disturbs me more than the drowning is like being packed in sand and like not being able to move your limbs i get really claustrophobic like the idea of like being in a small space and not being able to move my arms and legs like that gives me hives so um but then the roaches too definitely uh just so many so many like the idea of like one bug uh, gives me like shivers, but then mm-hmm. when you you think about like many bugs, it's it's really horrifying. So yeah, so yeah, I uh, I I've, I've seen it several times. I think mostly with the pod the pod yeah. gang. Yeah, I've seen it with with everyone <laughs> a lot. And um and yeah, I I don't think I was on. I was on the first creep show episode. I think. Um, but yeah, like we did the one, one with did the new with, flesh. With new flesh, I was yeah. on that one. Um, otherwise, though, I, I haven't been on it much. And it, but I'm excited to be on this because I always like really hated the Jordy Farrell uh, thing because Stephen King. Me too. Yeah, because Stephen <laughs> King to me, I love you, man, and I love I love his acting and and you know smaller roles. But man, you put him at the lead of something, and this is it's a rough watch uh, and just too corny. So I actually like that the story we're going to discuss today actually like puts the horror back in that premise because it is very it's and it's such like an old i can see why they chose it for creep show because it's such like an old you know ec comics sort of thing you know like like the idea of a meteorite striking like i love like the the 
the sense of wonder. It's absolutely something King probably read when he was a kid. And I, so I love that aspect of it because there's something that feels almost homey about it, despite how, mm-hmm. how disturbing it is. Um, so yeah, what we're going to discuss today is Weeds, which is the short story that, um, inspired the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill in Creepshow. We're also going to talk about The Crate, which inspired The Crate in Creepshow. And then we're also going to talk about something called Pinfall, which was a segment in Creepshow 2 that was eventually cut. It was never shot, right? Yeah, but it was in the script. And it was based on an idea. Like, I think King mapped out the story, and I think Romero wrote it out, which was true for most of them in Creepshow 2, which I really hate Creepshow 2, except for The Raft. The Raft is good. But, like, the the Native American one is is one of the most punishing things I've ever seen in my life, I think. Um, (laughs) It's just awful. And then, uh, although I kind of like, you guys always trash him, and I don't blame you, but... I kind of like the Crypt Keeper at the beginning with the papers, like at the beginning of Creepshow 2. I think the makeup's actually kind of eerie, uh, even though he's like kind of a Crypt Keeper type, you know, sort of. I, uh, I yeah I think we the when we discussed it on that episode I think we talked about how garish the animation is. Like they they had to have like you know they had if they were spending twenty five dollars per frame on Creepshow one. They're spending like six dollars per frame on Creep Show <laughs> too. Like the artwork in the in Creep Show is just so gnarly and vicious and cheap that it's almost like it's almost like that's more scary than the actual stories itself. Because you're like, God, if I was in that world, I'd fucking kill myself. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just they're very morbid looking. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is this is going to be fun because I think we all really en- mostly enjoyed these. Uh, when we get to Pinfall, that's such an odd, like, and basically with Pinfall, there was never, we have the script um, and we read that, but then there was also a comic made of it, which I think was like a really good medium for it because it's really all about the gore in the end, you know, and reading it is one mm-hmm. thing and then uh, seeing it uh, via comics is much better. So, um, so yeah, let's talk about Weeds a little bit. This was published a couple times before uh, before um, Creepshow came out in 1981 or 82 mm-hmm. and uh, it was published in Cavalier magazine which was an adult magazine in 1976 and again in Nugget magazine in 1979 <laughs> These names I know <laughs> I know and it was also collected I believe in two cemetery dance uh, compilations one is Shivers 7 um, there's like an ongoing compilation called Shivers uh, and the seventh installment of that in 2013 and then also in something called Dark Screams uh, volume one in 2014 so it's it's been published in these small um you know these small release things um and i think one thing to touch on before we talk about the content of the story itself is we received scans of this from brian and it was from the actual pages of cavalier and he apologized in the note and said i'm so sorry but you know i don't want to foist uh pornography on anyone but uh there's no way to like scan this without it being there and i gotta say like i'm not a prude in any way shape or form but Good God, some of these ads were just filthy. Yeah, you were texting <laughs> me some of them. Filthy. And, and I was, you know, I do a lot of screen grabs for my stuff, with, uh, especially when they're magazine scans, just because I need to have the notes and all for what the line readings are going to be. And I just kept, ta- like, I was like screenshotting uh, some of the ads in there and just like throwing them over to Randall in text messages. <laughs> so hopefully, you're, you know, hopefully Jen, does, you know, when she sees it, or your wife, Jen, you know, it's like, what are you looking at? And, you know, it's just like, you know, guaranteed to spread. Or it was just like really sickening, uh, like verbiage. And you're just like, Jesus Christ. I think you said like, how is any of this stuff legal? <laughs> well, yeah, there's the one that's yeah. like, uh, it's like a an ad for stag films. <laughs> yeah. And 
like some of the yeah like some of the stuff in there just very casually is just like oh uh incest you know and then it's like um animals like you know like wife swap uh preteen i'm like that's not legal oh yeah like there's one that's like guaranteed to be the real thing sex between human and animals like what fucked up yeah. No, thank you. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the ending of yeah. Weeds. Uh, but yeah, it's it's very strange. <laughs> very strange. There's, there's yeah. Dottie, the life-size teenage doll. Use her any way you want. No thanks. Uh, <laughs> Ultra latex. And, yeah, anyways, cool. it was just yeah. uh, it was kind of a fun little uh, peek into mid-70s porn, uh, kind of what was going on in the pages when King wasn't publishing his stories there. But I will say, like, you know, it, this is marketed in... Um, in the magazine like and that's the thing was these these rags had so much money like when you think about compared to to now and just how nobody values the written word in media anymore whatsoever and we all work for peanuts because nobody has any money because we're all owned by hedge funds and um (laughs) they don't share any money uh but like you know you're look i'm looking at this cavalier from 1976 and there's this cool illustration that's Mm -hmm. got like the the plants and everything like growing out of somebody's hand and then also his face like just really horrifying shit and then um and then it markets it as a, a chilling new story by the author of carrie and salem's lot and so i think it's interesting that and I think it speaks to the uh, amount of money that these kind of rags could offer back then, uh, comparatively, uh, that King was still publishing in, in adult magazines after publishing these very successful books. And I know he wasn't a household name yet, but he was still making pretty good money on these. And uh, but yeah, I think he. But I think also there probably weren't a lot of avenues to publish horror. Um, mm-hmm. And this was probably the best means to do it. So. Well, I mean, they had all that money from Stimula Condom. Um, <laughs> You know, it's like hundreds of tiny fingers urging a woman to let go. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, Cavalier certainly had their bucks coming in, you know, like every month they're probably, oh I'm God. just imagining, you know, the, the, the owner, which actually I looked at it and it's from Coral Gables, which is, uh, I used to live there. Um, oh, nice. I still write for uh, Coral Gables magazine, but um, they, uh, yeah, I just imagine Douglas Allen, who is the editor and publisher at the time, just like sitting there being like, what rags, you, uh, you know, what, what, what scary stories do you got for me this time, <laughs> Nye? Give me, uh, give me some of those scary stories. Just like kind of condescending, just because they just knows that like what's really selling the magazine is just, you know, smut. So, um, yeah. you know, good, good for King to bring some of his best stories here. Cause I, I mean, it's well, it is interesting. interesting. Yeah, it is interesting too, just the concept of, of the way that horror and smut was really intertwi- intertwined during that era, like especially in the 60s and 70s, because, you know, people didn't take uh, horror seriously and genre seriously so it sort of had to coexist with these um, you know with these uh, art forms that were sneered upon by by society um, and so because yeah I always think about you know like uh, a lot of the movies that Vinegar Syndrome will put out that's like um, you know they publish a lot of small batch DVDs of rare movies and um I remember listening to an interview with the creator or with the guy who's behind it. And he's basically like, you know, in the seventies, it was a lot about, you know, there was money in, uh, in smut and a lot of directors cut their teeth making smut. And, but the thing was a lot of the producers would say, okay, I need 20 minutes of sex scenes. The rest of it can be whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And so they would just make these weird experimental, strange genre movies and then just, you know, throw in a few sex scenes. Like hardcore sex scenes, and uh, but a lot of interesting movies were made during that time because there were so few restraints, and a lot of directors could really uh, tell bizarre and strange stories. And like Wes Craven, that, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like there's there's like a lot of 
rumors that, you know, a lot of like Spielberg and a lot of guys like that worked in smut too before they kind of had their big breaks because that was where you, you paid your rent, you know? And um, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, the whole scene was so different back then. I'm just imagining uh, Spielberg yeah. in like a Jaws shirt because he still hasn't <laughs> gotten enough money yet. And he's got like lines yeah. of cocaine just like crusted on his nose and just like, all right, now um, we're going to do another shot. Another shot. Where's yeah. Brit? Got- get- go get Brittany. Can you get He's got that jaw shirt on and nothing, and nothing else. else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just behind the camera. Like the shark isn't working. Uh, I got to get home, and I, I got uh, I got encounters to write. I got to write encounters. I got to get yeah, out of here. Yeah, one of the things I liked about the Deuce on HBO, uh, the David Simon show, was the way it sort of it showed some of that culture. The idea of like people who wanted to be real filmmakers, sort of trying to um, you know square that circle with uh, having to do that with pornography in the midst of it but being like oh no but i have a really strong artistic vision and obviously boogie nights is about that as well but um yeah which is just, i don't know to me it's super interesting and i thought it was worth discussing on this because uh the crate was also published in a men's magazine called gallery uh which we'll yeah. talk about shortly so that one less less uh explicit ad so i think cavalier was perhaps more classy yeah cavalier was perhaps the um the uh the penthouse to um gallery i was gonna playboy. say yeah, yeah it seems like that way it's a nice dichotomy yeah, so So I have a question. Yeah, go forth. Um as um I'm not a subscriber to many men's magazines, so I am kind of is this not what they are all like? No, 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 no. I, more I, smutty. So I so I was a huge I mean I still I mean I think I finally canceled my Playboy subscription about 10 years ago. And I know the cliche is that you're like, "Oh, it's the articles and stuff." But it really was mm-hmm. for me. Like I, you know, granted well, yeah, there's I, good writing. Everybody I think can accept there's good writing in Playboy. Yeah. yeah. Like Playboy really mm-hmm. has like some of the best writers and interviewers of the last like 30 years. Like if you want to go back, like I mean, one of the interviews we'll talk about eventually in this very mm-hmm. series will be Stephen King's interview from Playboy and like that's considered like one of the greatest you know interviews with him of all time and that was kind of the de facto publication for a while for these really um long um unedited I mean granted they're edited but it felt unedited because it'd be like five six seven pages long and I would be so excited about whoever they interviewed the next because you really did feel like you learned and met this person whoever they interviewed mm-hmm. um and that was kind of like their thing and then you know as we've bemoaned before recording this podcast the media industry has kind of gone down the hole and <laughs> I know so you don't get those interview- anymore no you yeah. get like 20 questions yeah. and it's like you know what's what do you what's in your netflix queue or something like yeah that, and it's like know? 20 <laughs> questions that were chosen by the pr representative mm-hmm. you know it's like you don't actually mm-hmm. get challenging like vulture vulture's probably got the best track record vulture and gq probably have like the best track record in terms of publishing like like interesting, um, challenging interviews, but those are done by a very small group of people who I think have been granted that access mm-hmm. by the PR companies, you know. But those can there could be really good ones, but it's usually of of like people who are sort of you know I want like aging like it'll be a lot of like like people who are now in their 60s or 70s and they're like okay i really don't have anything to lose so i can open up a little <laughs> yeah, bit in seriously. this interview because now it's <laughs> yeah. like imagine reading like an interview with chris evans where he actually talks about the kind of shit de niro and pacino talked about back in the 70s in interviews or mickey yeah. rourke or any of those guys you read sections from those old interviews and the shit they said it's like incredible like fascinating oh, yeah. stories but they're the kind of things that none of these marvel guys would ever say in an interview you know because oh, they're God, also no. they're also completely like you know and hey I love Chris Evans, but um, but I, I also know I'm not looking at a real human being whenever I read an interview with him. Yeah. I'm looking at a guy who has been media coached to uh, the edge of his life. So, Well, one um, day we'll hear a quote from him that's like, you know, I got a sex dungeon in my, uh, you know, my house. <laughs> 
I mean, I would uh, read that. Yeah. Either. I mean, we'd all... <laughs> we, just say the manga more a sweater. We'd all want to be uh, invited. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. yeah. We could watch okay. another teen movie together. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so... Okay, cool. Let's talk about weeds a little bit. So basically, the story hews pretty close to what's on screen in Creepshow, but it's not funny. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the really big not. difference. Right. Yeah, It's like the tone is so different. Yeah, it's a really, really unnerving and unsettling bit of um, body horror. Uh, but also, Jordy's like really well drawn in this, mm-hmm. just in these short pages. Mm-hmm. Like, I was really drawn to him as just sort of this, uh, you know, working class farmer uh, or, you know, like, I don't know if he's a farmer necessarily, but he's, you know, he's doing these these dirty jobs. He's not doing great. He's struggling with money. And he, they, there's kind of multiple uh, instant, like, notes where they kind of talk about how he's dumb and he knows it, you know? And, like, he has different types yeah. of thinking. There's big thinking and little thinking, you know? But it's like, I don't know. I, I relate to that. And uh, I, I think it's a really well-drawn character in terms of, um, because like he's not necessarily because in the in the in the show, like in Creep Show, doesn't he sort of fantasize a little bit about like the meteor making him famous? Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of where they get into some of the Looney Tunes esque segs, you know. Yeah, where, you know. and in the story, he's basically just like, I need money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe the maybe the doctors will give me money for this. What were you gonna say, Mike? Well, and that's kind of where I really found a lot of the pathos and the larger themes that. King was certainly obsessed with at the time. Like when you think about Salem's lot and we talk a lot about this on our book episode. So you can go back and listen to our eight hour episode about it or whatever how many <laughs> hours it is. Um, but we talk about a lot about like xenophobia and just like the death of the small town. And I feel like this is, you could do, you know, there's a, you can make a lot of metaphors for what the weeds are actually, you know, in this story. It could be, I mean, pick your poison. It could be corporatization. It could be industrialization. It could be for our day and age automation. But yeah. I think the ultimately what it boils down to is the, that idea that a lot of people, especially, you know, lower to middle class in America can relate to is this idea of, of um, too good to be true. This, yeah. The, the mantra of mm-hmm. too good to be true, which to be honest is the American dream. Um, and, you know, not look, that is a very, you might be like, oh, that's a little heady for a fucking story about a guy who becomes a bush. But like, I don't think that that's way off from where his mind was at when he was doing Salem's Lot. And that's, you know, it, this was around the same time. So, yeah, um, you know, 100 percent. And there's stuff in the text that supports that. I um mm-hmm. I wrote down a, uh, a bit. Yeah, here. Hold on. Let me bring it up here in the middle of six. He or uh, this page here. Like, he essentially talks about how... Yeah, here we go. Jordy went back to the house and was preparing to go into town when he remembered the drugstore would be closed because of the holiday. There was no way he could start getting his film developed until tomorrow. It seemed like there was nothing to do tonight but go to bed. That thought made him feel discontented and somehow sure that his luck hadn't changed after all. The gods of chance had been amused to haul him up by the scruff of the neck and show him $25 and had then jammed him right back down in the dirt. After all, Veril luck was Veril luck and you spelled that B-A-D. It had always been that way. Why should it change? Jordy decided to go back out and look at his meteor half convinced that it had probably disappeared by now and i think that mindset is something i related to a lot like yeah but it it speaks directly to what you're saying about the too good to be true notion of it yeah because then when he's finally lucky it's because he died Mm -hmm. you know and he's not in this life anymore you know and i was thinking about that when um 
he was talking about not wanting to go to the doctor because I know that's something that a lot of people that don't have a lot of money put off because mm-hmm. they're afraid of what they're going to find out. And yep. then like you, you're, you have to make this choice about whether to care for yourself or to, you know, sacrifice other things. And yeah, I found, I was really sad for him. And he oh, reminded yeah. me of Tom Cullen. Yeah. yeah. I put Did y'all Tom pick Cullen. up Tom Cullen vibes? I got, I got yeah. Tom Cullen vibes. Yeah. 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 It was a BAD thing that it got it for me, but just like, I loved the idea of the big thinking. I thought that was a really, really sweet way of characterizing the story. Um, but it, it was really sad. And I think it made me like, I find the, the adaptation in creep show sad, but it's so goofy that it's hard to really take. Sammy cried during but this I, when she first watched it. I remember you, posting about that yeah I mean it is it's sad but it's so like I feel like it made me appreciate that story more I still don't really enjoy watching it but I think in theory I was like well that that is the way they should have adapted it because I just don't think this would have played as is in Creepshow because one you couldn't have done the effects to make it anything less than goofy yeah and so it's like that whole like I don't know it's just kind of it's got a charm to it you know yeah, for me, the one of the big positives and pluses for this story, I feel like, is just the fact that, like, I mean, this is what separates King from most genre writers in the sense that, like, he, he always finds some way to, to mine depth. Like, you know, Randall, you're mm-hmm. talking about how, like, he drills him with more pathos in this. Like, just the fact that he, he breaks down, like, his way of thinking, like, you know, like, the big thinking um, and how he how that's different from like you know the the regular thinking or the you know the everyday thinking and stuff like that like the fact that he comes up with a rubric for Jordy's yeah. way of thinking is just it's just such a way to show like how king is so distinguishable amongst like all his you know peers because like no one would really do that you know no one would go the extra mile to kind of find that sort of nuance you know for this ostensibly a conduit for body horror and they yeah. do. And there's a lot that you can mine from it. And I think that's something that you don't really, you're not able to get on screen until the fate is that much more um, exacerbated on screen, which is why I think like the last three or four minutes is why it really hits home. And, you know, him jumping around and acting like a character in, in Acme short doesn't really help. But the ending, I think, <laughs> is where you really get those feelings of like, oh yeah, he's been suckered. He, he this This idea that he wishes that he could have more ultimately crumbles in his own end you know it also goes into the fact that he kind of does a little bit of world building too don't you think oh totally yeah Mm -hmm. which makes it effective when uh because you know this ends as a lot of stephen king's short stories do with the implication that this is almost the beginning of an apocalypse right (laughs) like Mm -hmm. the inciting Mm -hmm. incident of an apocalypse so i think the world building it really lends itself to when the plant or whatever starts creeping down the street. Like we have a sensation mm-hmm. of who's going to go first. Cause he talks about various doctors in this town and one doctor's good. One doctor sucks. And just various people mm-hmm. that he knows in town, like going, you know, and, uh, and, and being secluded in his own way. Like, so I don't know. I felt like in a very short amount of time, he created, uh, you know, a very easy to understand, easy to grasp and effective and interesting like uh, world for this character. And, he, and, and in that world, he's able to kind of like tailor in a little bit of side stories too, like the one about his dad yeah. and the corn grinding. Like I thought oh, that was yeah. such a creepy seg to kind of explain mm-hmm. what was currently happening with the meteor sound effects and stuff. Cause like one of the things that you definitely can't get with this, you know, the creep show short short is just the horror of the weeds itself. You know, like for mm-hmm. for the most part, they're they're just a visual element in um, the creep show short. But in here, they have a huge personality. I mean, there's their character in itself, and the way that King 
over, you know, you could say it's over explanations, but I think it actually just only adds more layers to it and maybe a, a, a liqueur to it. Um, yeah, the idea I want to grinding, you know? Yeah, I want to actually read that section. Yeah. Uh, I wrote it down yeah. because I thought it was it was some some of the best writing in the story, I think, mm-hmm. too. Um, mm-hmm. But so uh, he says he crept a little closer to the clear line of demarcation between yellow hay stubble and new green growth. He hunkered down and looked at it. He had never seen any plant that grew so thick, not even clover. Even with your nose practically touching the stuff, you couldn't see the ground. It was the exact color of a flourishing, well-tended lawn, but the plants weren't ten- the plants weren't blades, and they were round instead of flat, and tiny tendrils sprouted from each stalk like branches from the bowl of a tree, except that they were more limber than branches. What they really reminded him of were arms, horrible, boneless green arms. Oh. Uh, and... Yeah, here we go. And then Jordy's breath stopped in his throat. If anyone had been close enough to see him, they would have been reminded of that old saying. He had his ear to the ground. In this case, it was literally true. He could hear the stuff growing. Very faintly, the earth was groaning, as if in a sleep filled with pain. He could hear it being pulled apart and riddled by the strong thrust of this thing's root system. Pebbles clunked against pebbles. Clods crumbled into loose particles. And woven through these sounds was another, the rubbing of each tiny round stalk pushing itself up a little further and a little further. A grinding, squealing sound. Yeah, and from there he talks about his, uh, like hearing the corn grow with his dad when he was young. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's such like a humanizing and interesting little story to sort of add as an addendum to that really horrifying uh, description. So yeah, that was like one yeah. of my favorite little sections that we got here. Yeah. And he's literally writing about grass growing and making it horrifying. Mm-hmm. It just blows me away. And uh, well, I was going to talk about how sad the ending is too, because he does personify these, these monsters or the, the grass. Um, and it's like, he's not even there anymore. Like the part that really made me really sad is the end. The figure that stood looking down on this was really not Jordy Verrill anymore. It was hard to say what it might be. It was vaguely humanoid the way a snowman that has begun to melt is humanoid. The shoulders were rounded. The head was a fuzzy green ball with no signs of neck between it and the shoulders deep down in all the green one faded blue iris gleamed like a pale sapphire and I just had this vision of that like I I am not a very visual reader but that really like I could see that in my mind it was really sad just like the blue eye shining out and then when it's like they are in his head and he is completely gone yeah, um, yeah the Geordie food Cleves Mills food rich good and this is in italics for people that haven't read it um, his thoughts say he wants to bang can he do that I thought he and meant think, sex like, at first, but then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it means I know. But himself, then when you yeah. realize it, it's like holy shit, that's really dark. You I'm know? like Jordan's I mean, horny we're also even, reading it. even yeah. after he's being consumed by plants because he talked about his dick earlier. Probably so saw the like... ads on the page. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it goes full meta. Um, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was just so well, sad and so effective. Yeah, and I think the reason is because what this what this story really gets at, and I think what the end of the creep show segment gets at, that's probably what got Sammy was like it's just the loss of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like we're watching mm-hmm. uh, this man become more plant than man, and like losing whatever few scraps of humanity, and he's trying to hold on to them, but the voices of the of the aliens or whatever they are are consuming him, and there's so little of the real person left in there. And I think that's like just 
just a sad and horrifying thing in itself that I think could speak to a lot of illnesses, you know, like mental um, yeah. and um, uh, cognitive illnesses that oh, people 100%. experience. Yeah, and so I think that to me was was very effective and very sad. Um, also helps that it's just yeah. fucking written terrifyingly. Like, I mean, yeah. King uh-huh. is so merciless here. Like, this is, you know, we've talked a lot about this in the last year alone of just he kind of pulls his punches when it comes to villains lately um and you know we talked a lot about how especially in Lisi's story about how after the accident it's almost like he kind of didn't want the villains to ever have a comeuppance and all and this is an era where he just he can't let the villains lose you know like he has to have the villains have their comeuppance he has to have you know just the bleakest you know darkest endings because that's kind of what he was inspired by i mean like this story itself is loosely based on The Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft, yeah. which is one of my favorite stories of all time. And the horror of that is the unending dread um, and the infinite dread of knowing that like it's unstoppable. And we don't know what this is. We don't know what it's doing, really. And yet there's we're, we're just, you know going to be plowed by it but like it was just destroyed just absolutely erased mm-hmm. and in that story the characters all become like this ash and in this this is almost like it's just almost worse like it, 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 it like takes your own personality it, mm-hmm. it warps you over and like the unforgiving nature of how it spreads I, I, I'm obsessive compulsive I'm hydro hypochondriac like I, I've there's you know I wash my hands all the time and there'll be you know points where I will touch something on my face knowing that I hadn't washed my hands yet. And I literally like will go in the shower sometimes. And so like reading this, I was like, this is my fucking worst nightmare. Like there are sections Mm -hmm. in this that I really had to like kind of stop for a second and just be like, all right, Jesus, like you're hitting on my trypophobia. You're hitting on my, my germophobia, like all this shit. So I mean, wait, what is trypophobia? Is that fear of like holes? Yeah. 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 So when he I've talks about his hands, when his hands and with mm-hmm. the, like the things and it's like, Ooh, there's depths and there's, there's like little, like, you know, almost like dirt with like the, the, you know, the, the stuff coming in. I was like, mm-hmm. fuck this. I would have killed myself at that point. Like I just wouldn't be able to even, or I would have cut my hand off or something, but yeah, but the, I love when he's talking about seeing it in his eye and he's like, what do I do? Oh. I can't like pull it out because it's my eye, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? And the part he was saying, um, that wasn't what made him scream. The thought of having that stuff inside him, that was what made him scream. It was a million times worse than the time he had gotten the bat caught in his hair while he was insulating old Mrs. Carver's attic. Somehow the green plants had picked the two best parts of him, his eyes and his pecker. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair at all. It seemed like when we've read the part about his luck, but yeah, it just, oh, it's so sad. And then talking about him wanting so bad to get in the bath and just like make it feel better, even though he knows it's going to be, it's going to make it all worse. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to read those sections too that's oh sorry no 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 i'm saying that's that's great but yeah i want to even read um a little bit more about the eye stuff because i think it's like mm-hmm. so oh, it's, it's so disgusting it's, it's so like, upsetting it is yeah and it's right off the thing like it's early in the process it's not like his whole body mm-hmm. is green and then his eyes start. it's like one of the first things right right mm-hmm. yeah when he says uh he fell asleep halfway through the afternoon soap operas when he woke up at five o'clock he was blind in his right eye he looked in the mirror and moaned his faded blue right eye was gone what was in the socket now was a waving green jungle of weeds and some of the little creepers hung halfway down his cheek he put one hand up to his face before he could stop himself he couldn't just rip the stuff out the way you would hoe up the witchgrass in your tomato sets yeah he couldn't do that because his eye was still in there someplace wasn't oh, it yeah the wasn't it is so great i love that yeah and then when he says uh. um 
yeah, and then he goes, he had gone into the bathroom to piss off some of the rum, and that green stuff was growing out of his penis. Of course it was. It was wet down there, wasn't it? Always, oh, <laughs> uh, almost always a little bit wet. Uh, but then he says, Jordy went just the same, but it itched and hurt so much that he couldn't tell which was worse. And maybe next time he wouldn't be able to go at all. That's also very disturbing yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me of that uh, What About Bob when he talks about being so afraid that he can't find a bathroom in his bladder yeah. explodes and kills him. <laughs> That's like literally one of my favorite comedies. I love that movie. <laughs> I'm sailing. Sorry. Yeah, no, it, it's 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 just uh, it's just merciless. And like just the, the, the uh, realization of knowing like what you touched and not realizing the rules of it all. Being like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So if it does this then, well, there's water in my eyes. And, you know, if there's, you know, if it does this, like I, I, I had used my, you know, I've been drinking and all the pineapple cans and all this other shit and it yep. gets all over that. Like realizing this with him, even though I'd seen the short, but just kind of getting more into the nitty gritty of the rules because of through King's prose, like I just got, it's just, it's just an anxious read. Like I, it, it's, it's, oh, a, yeah. it's, it's, it's an anxious read in the best way possible. Like kind of like his old school night shift stories, because it's a lot that, you know, a lot of this reminds me of like, you know, I am the doorway where it's this, this mm-hmm. hopelessness of, I don't know what is happening to me. I don't know what this is. And I'm, it's, it's impossible well, to stop. And gray matter too. Definitely. And gray matter. Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What were you going like, to say, John? Yeah. I'll go for it. I was going to say, if any, if anybody's ever had a kid with hand, foot and mouth, that's what this is like. Mm. It's like, no, what did you touch? What did you, and you can't control it, you know? And that's, I think the scariest thing is it's creeping and it's just, you can't, it's invisible until it's too late, you know? Yeah. It reminded me of like when, um, so one of the reasons why I have like severe hypochondria and OCD is, um, so my mom was a a preschool teacher and she brought home lice, uh, multiple times in one year. Oh. And, um, it just did a number on me. Like I had already been kind of averse mm-hmm. to germs and stuff like that, but just the concept of like, it could be anywhere. Like it, I, mm-hmm. I felt like it was in like, um, you know, uh, Tracy Letts's bug. Like the entire time <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's, it could be in here. And so like, my, and my mm-hmm. mom got that same way too. And so we were literally like throwing things out, like, you know, washing things for four days straight. Like it, it we got, we went insane. And this just mm-hmm. reminded me of that, of those moments of like that, that what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Oh my God, I'm making it worse. I'm making it worse. I'm making it worse. And like that sort of dichotomy or that catch 22 really that, that just causes nothing but like this um, claustrophobia of anxiety where you're just like this, it's just inescapable. Um, Yeah. And you don't get that in the short (laughs) for sure. No, you don't. Yeah. (laughs) Have y'all read the ruins by Scott? I have like that too. Yes. That, it's what this I mean I think it's probably pretty clear that it's inspired by this but yeah it's oh it's so and just the thought of like cutting and cutting and cutting and never being able to get it out and just so The Ruins was a very harrowing read for me I remember It was It left me like for a mo- uh for a book that's ostensibly about like evil plants that is like a fucking bleak and like punishing book I remember when I saw uh-huh. when I saw the movie um like it's I, I don't know I don't want to spoil it but I guess it's like it, it goes a lot softer mm-hmm. than the book does mm-hmm. which I think makes sense uh, but man like Scott Smith man because he did a simple plan as well his books are fucking mm. bleak yep like it's so amazing <laughs> to me that those were like the best sellers that they were because mm. I, I remember putting the I remember vividly putting the ruins down and being like that was so depressing um, uh-huh. but yeah Anyways. that's how I feel with the simple plan like I, we watched that last fall because yeah. Sammy had wanted to watch it and I was like uh, I don't know. do we do we gotta watch <laughs> uh, yeah we guess we go watch it and then afterwards we're like yeah let's go put on like I don't know the wedding singer or something like that you know? <laughs> 
Um. Uh, any other thoughts on weeds? I did like the idea that he keeps watching television. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and that's kind of how he marks his time. Yeah, like it's so farcical, but at the same time, it's really relatable because it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's something I would do. You know, I would just be like, so in some weird zone where I'd just be like, I, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to go put on Halloween again and just stare <laughs> and, and just try to escape the dread of all this. God, my eyes itching right now. Well, yeah, because the reason Uh-oh. the reason he doesn't want to go to the doctor, like there's two doctors. There's the one that gives him samples so he doesn't have to pay for medication. And the one who like basically like makes him feel comfortable when he's there and promises him he's not going to break the bank. And then there's the other doctor who is like cash up front, please. You know what I mean? And so he literally doesn't go because he's afraid of how much it's going to cost, which is pretty much our entire fucking country right now. It really is. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was, th- I think at one point I was like, is this to explain anti-vaxxers for some reason? Um, you know, also- it does actually a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, well, maybe not anti-vaxxers, but people like people, cause anti-vaxxers are like, to me, I'm just like people who don't want the vaccine because it's the vaccine. Whereas I think a lot of people, the problem is like, the problem for me is like, uh, people are so used to getting screwed by hospitals and healthcare Mm -hmm. that if you're going to market the vaccine to like, uh, impoverished communities, you have to like put free all over it because there's a good Mm -hmm. reason these people don't trust, uh, the American, like the health sort of uh, juggernaut that destroys our country. Um, anyways, minor rant over. But uh, so <laughs> let's, let's go on. into 45 minutes of the, the anti yeah. healthcare. <laughs> right. I love it. But uh, let's talk about The Crate. Um, the Crate was initially published in Gallery in 1979. And um, uh, it also was published in a few other things before Creepshow came out. It was in something called Fantasy Annual 3, which was a collection of stories, as well as. Um, something called Arbor House Treasury of Horror and the Supernatural. It was a paperback that was released in May of 1981. So both of those came out in the same year. It was collected in those. And uh, actually, this uh, yeah, the Fantasy Annual was in April, and then the uh, Arbor House was in May. So, yeah, the story was getting a lot of love around that time. I was going to say, um, he's shopping this around a lot. And it's like, yeah, you know, so the editors it was, are like, what'd you give him that story for? You give it to me first. <laughs> And it was also included in Shivers uh, 6, Volume 6, which was the one before 7, that uh, Weeds was featured. And that was in 2010 that that came out. So so if you have read The Crate, it's because you... Although I think there are some scans of it online as well. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Weeds, from what I was reading on some message boards, that there wasn't uh, any scans of that that had made it to the to the World Wide Web. But you can probably find The Crate. You but, can find um, The Crate for sure. Yeah, it's pretty easily Googleable. We could probably link it, uh, wink, wink, but we'll see. Um. Uh, so, Mike, I know you're a big fan of The Crate as it exists in Creepshow. Um, what was it like reading this story uh, alongside... Um, you know, your your love of the original creep show version. Yeah, I mean, for for me, like the crate was one of the first things I remember of of Stephen King, just because I, I I remember like being at a sleepover, turning on like Sci Fi or it was probably AMC or Sci Fi or one of the channels, and this segment being on and not having any context of what this movie was. Like I didn't understand, you know, the whole medium of it being a comic book. I, I just thought, oh, um, I kind of recognize the the actors like this looks kind of like the country clubs and the 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 rich elite that I'm used to from seeing you know living in East Fort Lauderdale at the time and this is interesting it's two in the morning I'm kind of out of it 
And then just really being scared to death about the concept of like the box under the stairs. Like I just yeah. like it stuck with me. And there's so when reading this, when King discusses those that very notion um, of you know because at one point Dex, one of the characters in the story, he talks about like how he just imagines like the idea of like, you know, students in the 1800s are like, you know, walking by this box, not knowing that this box has just been sitting there. And they, they use a phrase throughout the whole thing that we'll talk about, but it really hit me in a way that I'm like, Oh man, this, this book, this story is scary to me again, you know? And Mm -hmm. because I've seen creep shows so many times, and this is just such a midnight masterpiece for me that I've, it's more of just like a popcorn movie. Like I'm just so much, it's so much fun. I mean, it's literally the tagline for creep show is the most fun you'll ever have being scared. And they're not wrong. So to read these stories, kind of like Weeds, it added some more depth to the the terror. And I found myself um, getting a little creeped out this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, in the pages, it says, um, of Gallery, it says, published for the first time anywhere, the complete novelette by the best-selling author of Carrie, The Shining, and The Stand. So The Stand was out by the time this one came out, which is interesting. And... Um, and yeah, but I think calling it a novelette is interesting because mm-hmm. I guess it was perhaps yeah. a little bit longer than a lot of the short stories they would run, but can't really call it a novella. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, for me, this is a pretty common <laughs> short story length. So I just think the uh, the calling it of a novelette was kind of funny, but some great art like that accompanies the story, mm-hmm. which again, just speaks to how different things were then versus now. Um, but yeah, uh, so Jen, um general impressions of the crate like how familiar were you with the creep show one was that a favorite of yours when you watched it and uh what would you say was sort of the overwhelming impression you took from this story um yeah i'm not a huge fan of the crate and i'd say it's probably about the middle of the road for me as far as the uh like the leslie nielsen one is my favorite and then the bugs one is terrifying so this one is about the middle of the road I really enjoy it I have some big problems with it Um, but I loved this story I thought it reminded me of Night Shift again it was like reading a new Night Shift story which was so much fun Um, I think my biggest problem with the adaptation in Creepshow is how sympathetic I find Hal Holbrook you know like or how much I think it is Hal Holbrook yeah he's in it yeah uh, Henry yeah, yeah. And like, I really like him. I really want to like him. And then he does this horrific thing. And it almost feels like the movie is endorsing that thing. And here, <laughs> I felt like he was so like, like I felt he, he was so much more villainous in this that I really enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I still because so it kind of solved some of the problems that I have with that little vignette in the movie. Well, it's funny because I feel like this was written at the height of comedians being like, ah, my nag of a wife kind of humor, you uh-huh. know? And yes. uh, totally. like, oh man, my wife sucks. Um, and that to mm-hmm. me is, it's just kind of funny to think about that. And uh, so I called this a real dude's rock story and that it's literally about two dudes <laughs> just like bonding over how much they hate one of the guy's wives and then killing her off. And at the end, it's like, high five, we did it, bro. <laughs> you know, It's like, we got rid of right. her. But yeah. the reasons they give for why she's, apparently so bad are like there's like because she's kind of annoying at parties and they call her a shrew at one point Mm -hmm. like i i think it's i think it's meant to be funny on king's part um but i also think that 
perhaps what was lost in translation with Creepshow was like there was that sort of uh, like it's like mother-in-law jokes, right? Like, like right. This, it's the same thing with like, ah, oh, my wife, she's such a nag. She doesn't let me party with the boys, you know. And um, and yeah. like they literally say that like she gives him shit because he plays chess too long or whatever with with uh, the guy. And so I kind of I kind of found that very funny. Um, just this notion of like, wow, we've stumbled upon an ancient beast that consumes people. I'm gonna get rid of my I nagging know. wife. It's an immediate <laughs> uh-huh. immediate decision. Like, there's just absolutely <laughs> no like hesitation whatsoever he's like he, you know he basically asks and drills Dex and a couple of questions like oh you didn't call campus security and yeah. you kind of realize that you probably didn't only call he probably only asked that so that he could basically go kill his wife <laughs> like, <laughs> you know right like it's mm-hmm. t- the, the thing that I have to you have to remember that I feel like we we always we drilled upon like crazy and crazy when we were doing the night shift episode is that you know he is writing to his desired audience here you know like the totally. fact that, that he knows that this is going to be in smutty magazines this isn't a this is a male fantasy. You know, it's the it's the whole perfect murder of the imperfect wife, you know, the to the moon with blood, sweat and beers, I guess, in a way. Like, I mean, I, I just like I, I, I kind of love that about it. Like, I just love how, like, transparent it is in that respect. Like, you know, in the movie, they really go out of their way, like, you know, to really show that like Wilma is 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 just like awful in the sense of like not you know obviously she doesn't need you know deserve to die but like they go (laughs) double they like triple down on adrian barbeau in that movie of just being like like such a a a, almost like a a cartoon character and just like all she does is like literally just scream and 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 laugh like she almost feels like an extra in a rodney dangerfield like um you know cadre like in in caddyshack that like storms like the, the country club or something like that like she's a she's a force and then they really soften the blow by, or they really soften the blow of the story by showing that, like, you know, the crate monster might get out, right, and get him. And, like, here, it's literally two guys laughing over the chest of what they wanted to do the whole time. Like, there's no sense of, like, oh, the creature's going to come back and fucking rip their brains out. Like, you know, morally, he should. No, go enjoy your smut magazine and just fantasize in this for a little bit. Like it's, I don't know. I, there's something fun about that. Like, I, and I kind of miss the, that, that side of King a little bit where he yeah, used to be that kind old of mean a, King. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. mean and yeah. nasty. I agree. And I mean, and I, just for the record, I'm not trying to cancel creep show. Like <laughs> oh, I, I'm not saying I you are. <laughs> get where the humor is. Yeah, no, I know. And I think the thing that rubs me particularly the wrong way about Adrian Barbeau in that movie, because I love her too, but it's just, there's a little bit of a, like a read of her being a drunk and that's why mm. she's so boorish. And, um, so that kind of, I was like, well, you know, you can just divorce her. Right. I know, yeah. Um, and that's the that's why I think I liked the story so much because it does seem like it is incriminating the men and it is kind of like this male fantasy but it doesn't seem like it's glorifying it like now he's hooray he's free you know but there's like a sinister air to that rather than like you celebrating with him you kind of look at him like he's a cold like scumbag but yeah I kind of love that (laughs) I I think it kind of has it both ways I think like depending Mm -hmm. on the viewpoint like if you're reading like you know I think some people could read this in that final moment where it's like, hey, what are friends for? Like, I'll help you, you know, uh, like cover up your wife's murder or whatever. Uh, And I think some guys could just be like, yeah, man, like fist bump, you know. But then I think it can be read as that. But then I think also the, the story very much doesn't try to make these guys likable, relatable characters. They are 
Yeah. They're act like they're elite academic scumbags. You know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. the guys at universities that no one ever would want to spend time with. <laughs> like uh right. just these like yeah, these like boorish men. And uh and so I love that. I love that um that King kind of like you're right, Mike, he's playing to the audience, but there's there's a there's something smarter there, you know. I, and you almost can like draw I mean, if you really wanna get into the the this sort of this is a thematic stretch, I guess. But like you know, you could make the case that, like, well, this crate sat underneath the basement stairs for 150 years. It got out. That's to say, you know, oh, you might have thought that you've destroyed and hid all these secrets, all your misdoings here, but it might get out. And it and they kind of hint at the idea of Dex kind of debating whether or not he's going to aid and abet his friend. You know, and mm-hmm. maybe that's like a on a long enough timeline, someone's yeah. going to crack open like the crate. I don't know. Maybe that's a yeah. reach, but it, maybe that's what he was trying to imply there. I don't know. But I think at the end of the day, he was kind of just like, look at these fucking assholes. They got away with it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and there also was because I was reading this, the section where he's talking about how his friend got a promotion because his wife is way nicer and looks better mm, and is yep. like, much more pleasing at parties. And I think I feel like that was on the page where like there's this ad of Fredericks of Hollywood with all of these um, like women and they're wearing lingerie and then there's also some tearaway panties for men too which I was <laughs> finally fascinated by. I know like <laughs> I don't have to take my pants off <laughs> anyway, I always love that there's this uh, rush like, to have sex in these like these things like it's like oh god I got like I got I 10 know. seconds <laughs> this button yeah, is too ridiculous <laughs> Yeah, but like just reading that on that same page, it was like this is it just feels like yes, writing to the audience, but also there's this like understanding of what what this kind of like publication is glorifying and it's like feeding the story. So I liked that it was incriminating to these guys and I like that they don't come across as heroes because I feel like it does kind of indict them. Sure. Um I also made a list of Wilma's crimes. If oh, we're, if let's hear them. Yes, this is this is what is deserving uh, her or making her deserving of getting eaten by the great monster. Um, so one, she likes when people call her Billy. Awful. <gasps> oh I God. know. Two, she insists that people use coasters because she does not like rings on her counters. Uh, well, three to quote Larry David, I you got to respect the wood. <laughs> well, and if there's anything Cavalier is serious about, <laughs> sorry, that's not Cavalier. It's a um, gallery. <laughs> nice, Val- nice, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, she has a disagreeable voice. Okay, she is nosy. She's controlling. I like that you said. Has- I like that you said she has a disagreeable voice. Okay, maybe that one. That one she can <laughs> die for. Right. Well, and I mean, yeah, I I don't want to be best friends with her, you know, but I also don't know if she deserves to die. Um, So nosy and controlling. She has pants that are too tight and are bright green. So that's. Oh, my clear. God. And she doesn't fit, want She did fit in great in 2002. So we know that. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. And the last one, she didn't want it children. So, yeah, she's got to die. Yeah. That was interesting to me. Like the idea of like, usually it's the other way around. If that's going to be a grievance, it's you uh-huh. know, it's like the guy doesn't want to uh, want children. I thought that was sort of a, I don't know, an interesting moment. And it, it almost makes me feel like it le- that speaks to, you know, the pressure on women, especially back then. Like, what was that? Mm-hmm. 50 years ago. Like, it was a lot mm-hmm. more expected that women would would focus on family first and not career. Um, and mm-hmm. so, yeah, that's actually really interesting to me. Like, how dare she deny me a child, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there are no other women in the world that I could get pregnant to, so, you know. You know, these guys got yeah. mistresses. They're probably banging their students. Oh, totally. Yeah, they're, they're TAs. <laughs> I love the fact that it's two leads that are like 60-somethings, though. Like We talked yeah. about this on, uh, on the Creep Show episode last year for The Crate. We talked about um, how, like, I think the average age of this movie is like 42 or something yeah. like that. And I, and, I, and I love that because I love when, you know, veterans are in horror movies because not only do you get some great performances, but there's also this, this like sense of austerity to something that's pulpy and fun and, and, and you know, ultimately bubblegum. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then also it kind of play, plays into the idea that like, you know, the, the dads and the, the moms and the grandparents are infallible, right? Or like are they mm-hmm. are fallible. Um, and, I, and I think that's the case here. You know, these are these are not your uh, everyday grandpa uh, grandparents here. You know, they're 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 little little troublemakers uh, running around here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Some good writing I that mm-hmm. I I got in here, and there's some I think there's some really great passages. But uh, the first one I really noted was the first time we really see the crate when the janitor shows it to Dex. Um, he says it says the janitor shone his light into the hole. Motes of disturbed dust preened and swayed lazily in the beam. The light struck the far wall in a spotlight circle. Rose to the zigzag undersides of the stairs briefly, picking out an ancient cobweb in which long dead bugs uh, hung mummified. And then the light uh, dropped and centered on a crate about five feet long and two and a half feet wide. It was perhaps three feet deep. As the janitor had said, it was no knocked together affair made out of scrap boards. It was neatly constructed of a smooth, dark, heavy wood. A coffin, Dexter thought uneasily. It looks like a child's coffin. The dark color of the wood showed only in a fan-shaped swipe on the side. The rest of the crate was the uniform dull gray of dust. Something was written on the side, stenciled there. And we learn that the, uh, it says Arctic Expedition on the side, June 19th, 1834. And I kind of love that, the ancient quality of it, the idea that it's like 150 Mm -hmm. years old. Um, Very, very eerie. And uh, something I enjoyed that section a lot. So on that note, I love that King gets to get a chance to kind of lean in on the history books as he always does. Yeah. And that whole digression about like um, the, the expeditions, you know, mm-hmm. um, and like Dex, I have a, a section right here that's kind of creepy. It's just like, I haven't had a chance to check the records yet, Dex said, picking up his drink again. But I know from my history that there were Arctic expeditions as early as Francis Drake. None of them made it. That was all. They were convinced they'd find gold, silver, jewels, lost civilizations, God knows what else. The Smithsonian Institution outfitted an attempted exploration of the North Pole in, I think it was 1881 or 1882. They all died. A bunch of men from the Explorers Club in London tried for the South Pole in the 1850s. Their ship was sunk by icebergs, but three or four of them survived. They stayed alive by sucking dew out of their clothes and eating the kelp that caught their boat until they were picked up. They lost their teeth, and they claimed to have seen sea monsters like that's just king he's so good at doing those little tangents but like yeah when he could weld history into it it just adds so much more purpose to his story i love it um yeah it and- reminds me of when he writes about the donner party in the shining oh yeah he's kind of adding that little flair you know this really reminded me a lot of the mangler too mm. which is one yeah. of my favorite short stories especially when he's like getting his arm eaten because there's a scene in the mangler when somebody loses an arm and it's like the two older gentlemen like talking about this and kind of plotting which is where a lot of the action of the story is taking place rather than like what is actually what they're talking about you know yeah um, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and something else like that I thought was really eerie was when he talks about um, like what 
like what happened, like what he felt inside the crate when he, mm-hmm. when they started moving it, uh, something mm-hmm. shifted inside. He did not hear it, but felt it through the palms of his hands as if whatever it was had moved of its own volition. It had been an almost liquid feel as if something not quite gelled had moved sluggishly. That's such an mm. eerie, like gross and I don't know, freaky, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, sort of, uh, description there. I really love that. Um, yeah, the the way that he talks, there's a lot of, you know, added horror that you just don't get in watching a movie. And it's like moments mm-hmm. like that. And it's also just like there's elements of the monster that they don't really ever really use in the movie. I guess they kind of shake it up a little bit because I feel like the crate monster we get in Creepshow is not the crate monster we have here. Oh, um, no, not at all. You know, yeah. like the the whole whistle, like I thought that was so scary. Like how yeah, we, the idea that it like when it's hungry, it whistles, and yeah, when they're like disturbing it, it's it's, and then it sounds like a hysterical shriek by a tantrumy child. Yeah, like, that is so fucking eerie, and it keeps going and going and going. Um, and then it, it, they said it was like it, you know, went on for like twenty minutes, and it's like when it feeds, it stops, but then it starts again, and just that's just such a good use of sensory horror i'm just surprised they didn't use that in the movie i, I think in the movie they could use like a chimpanzee sound that's like uh, yeah that well the, yeah the monster in the movie is very monkey like mm-hmm. um like mm-hmm. how would you sort of compare the description in this uh because i, I have a section here i can read oh, go um, for it, like go for it. yeah right at the top of 124 uh, well, not that that matters, but, <laughs> but uh, well, if you're holding your gallery right now, uh, <laughs> if you're, right, if you're holding yeah. your 1979 uh, copy of gallery, uh, uh, right sure next to, to 117. The, um. right next to an ad of the Rough Rider condom has 468 <laughs> studs is, um, Ooh, is for her pleasure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something as dry and brown and scaly as a desert reptile came out of the crate, something with huge claws. It Ugh. tore at the janitor's straining, knotted throat and severed his jugular vein. Blood began to pump across the table, pulling on the formica and jetting onto the white tiled floor. For a moment, a mist of blood seemed to hang in the air. Dex dropped the janitor's arm and blundered backward, hands clapped flat to his cheeks, eyes bulging. Um, I, yeah, I love how cartoony like he'll, he'll get to in this, which I it reminds me of, the, I feel like he's thinking about comic books like that he had mm. growing up when he's writing this but uh but yeah like the monsters described as much smaller i think than the one in the yeah. movie and um mm-hmm. and yeah scaly is one word that they use brown and then um i feel like there's a few other little parts there's one, but... yeah there's one that says he has not four but six legs and yes yeah, six legs that's the, the one flat I flat yeah. bullet head of a young lynx like that is so weird Ooh. yeah like mm-hmm. that kind of goes into like i feel like his descriptions for monsters in like midworld where I would be reading parts of the wastelands and I'd be like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Like I, when you asked what the sense of the monster was, I realized I don't really have a sense of what it is because I think what I picked up from this story is everyone's reactions to it. Like I like when he talks about the janitor screaming and when he talks about the screaming of a tantrum child, I I was like, oh, I originally thought it was the janitor, you know? And I just, I thought that was so eerie how he just kind of comes out of the shadows and it's just screaming, but we hear the reactions or we hear like the sound of Wilma not screaming anymore, you Mm -hmm. know, and that is so effective. Yeah. I've got Um, a little section here of when Charlie, the grad student gets eaten and it says a moment was all it took. Charlie Garrison's body was uh, snapped under the stairs with grotesque cartoonish speed silence for a moment. Then the growling smacking sounds began again. Charlie screamed once more, a long sound of tear and pain that was abruptly cut off as if something had been clapped over his mouth. 
or stuffed into it, yeah. uh, which I love. It's just, <laughs> I know it's gross and, and, and it's so cinematic too. Like, you know, the idea mm-hmm. of it being sucked under in this cartoonish speed, like you can see sort of the influence of the monster movies he grew up on. Uh, and it's such a perfect setup for that too. You know, like yeah. the, the thing under the stairs, like, I mean, I think we're all just built in our heads maybe just instinctually from, I don't know, the human condition of, you know, thousands of years of humanity to just be scared of things under the stairs. Like, I I mean, I don't even know if there's anything that I saw or watched as a kid. I just knew that like, yeah, mm-hmm. there's something, it's, it's, it's weird. There's something there. And it plays on that. Like one of the things I mentioned earlier when we first started talking about the crate was the, the situational uh, nature of the horror, you know, um, which is what Romero is so good at, which is why I think their marriage is so awesome. I wish they would have done more together. But that phrase that Dex uses, squat and mute. Yeah. You know, he says that he doesn't know where that came from. And I Googled it and it didn't seem to come from any short story, but he couldn't stop thinking about that idea of this crate just sitting there. And that's ultimately what scares me the most about this story is just the, 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 the fact that it has been sitting there, that the fact that there is this, you know, for lack of a better word, Schrodinger's cat inside. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, it's a, it is that concept. And there's a, there's a graph here that really gets at that where he says, um, I don't have the page number, but I'm sure it's next to like a dildo or something, but, um, it was, <laughs> it was easy enough, too easy perhaps, to see the antique sepia-toned ghosts of all those old zoology students wearing their white coats with the green cuffs, their hairs marcelled or pom- pomaded, doing their dissections and writing their reports. Footfalls clattered on the stairs and Dexter, sh- uh, De- Dexter. Uh, Dex shivered, thinking again of the crate sitting there. Yes, squat and mute under the stairs for so many years, long after the men who had pushed it under there had died and gone back to dust. Like that concept, it's like when I think about zombies and like the zombie movies, it's not the zombies clambering around and biting things that's scary. It's the it's the, the bleak nature of what that means for the rest of society. It's the situational mm-hmm. nature of it all. And when mm-hmm. you can do that, that is far more effective to me than any jump scare, any monster, any description. It's just that you get in your head about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and thinking about it being under the stairs and how many times have you walked up and down those stairs and it was there and it could have killed you and it just didn't. And so like, if you think about like, I can't remember, Henry, Hal Holbrook, the the guy who kills his wife, like how many classes people have gone to with him and just thought he was a normal guy (laughs) and would never think of killing his wife and just like the evil that kind of lurks within these places that we think we can, we are safe because like school seems like a, well, I guess maybe not anymore, but like, (laughs) yeah. You know, it seems like a safe place or a place that you feel at home, you know, and just to think that there's always something lurking and that you're never quite safe anywhere. Um, One of the lines that really chilled me is when he's talking about um, kind of covering up everything. And he says, "Um, I parked the car in our, and then he stops, in my driveway on the way there. And it just chilled Uh me how quickly he had switched over to not being married anymore and that he was, you know, he was seeing himself as single. Um, And I had a couple of other passages that I found that I thought were really chilling. But one that I thought was hilarious, um, and I don't remember the context, but I think it's when uh, he says, for God's sake, get hold of yourself, Dex said harshly. You're a zoology <laughs> major. You've seen blood before. Yeah, that cracked me up. I love that. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. That's amazing. Reminds me of Caddyshack. That's like that screams creep show. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Get a hold of yourself. You're a man of God. <laughs> <laughs> there is no God. <laughs> 
um, but I found one um, was when the janitor was dying, and I just found this really chilling. Um, the pump of the janitor's heart faltered and lost its rhythm. Now the blood that flowed from the deep, irregular gash in his neck lost its urgency and merely flowed down at the command of indifferent gravity. Mm. That was just really like the final stages of dying when you're done thrashing because you know it's over, even though you're not dead yet. And just oh, yeah, that's awful. Um, it's pretty awful. I have a, I have a section too that really got to me when Wilma's being like after Wilma's dead and um and the Hal Holbrook character like has to like kind of reach over to take care of the crate because he's gonna get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is a great little section. Um, I backed right up to the edge of the water. The moon was still up, and I could see its reflection way down in the blackness, like a drowned silver dollar. I went around, but it was a long time before I could bring myself to grab the thing, in a very real way. Dex, it was three bodies, the remains of three human beings, and I started wondering, where did they go? I saw Wilma's face, but it looked, God help me, it looked all flat, like a Halloween mask. How much of them did it eat, Dex? How much could it eat? And I started to understand what you meant about the central axle pulling loose. It was still whistling. I could hear it, muffled and faint through that canvas drop cloth. Then I grabbed it and I heaved. I really believed uh, it was to do it then or do it never. It came sliding out, and I think... Uh, maybe it suspected uh, Dex because as the dolly started to tilt down towards the water, it started to growl and yammer again and the canvas started to ripple and bulge and I yanked it again. I gave it all I had so much that I almost fell into the damn quarry myself and it went in and then, uh, but yeah, just that idea of like pulling it out and it thrashing against everything and, uh, and almost like breaking through in that moment. It's like a really cool little action sequence that, that he wrote in there, but just the description too, Mm -hmm. of her face being flat, like a Halloween mask is very, very unnerving to me. Yeah. I pulled that section too. So at the end of the the movie, they hint that, you know, the creature is going to get out because they show it break through the, the crate as a kid that always haunted me because I was always, it's kind of like the Michael Myers thing where it's like, Ooh, the creatures out there. But because of the way it was, um, you know, boxed in and they talk about how it had different nails, even that like thicker nails, which I guess they're foreshadowing of just like something being held in against its will. Do we think this is like an unstoppable beast or do we (laughs) think it's just a beast that like, you know, they they didn't know how to kill in the 1800s or something like that? Like, I I always wondered what the nature is. Is it it like an unstoppable thing that's going to just destroy the world? Because it feels like almost like every other creep show story usually ends with that idea that like, oh, the world's fucked. So like, is this creature, if it gets out, is the ecosystem going to be screwed also? I I just, I've always had questions about the creature itself. Yeah. Maybe it's like Daenerys's uh, dragon eggs, you know, that they're like, they're fine until you put them in fire and then they grow into Mm. these giant dragons, you know, and then they're unstoppable. Because really the only thing that's keeping it in at this point because it's lived for 150 mm-hmm. years so it does not live by the laws of like our own life cycle um like it's just the tarp that's keeping it in right like it could claw its way out and get back to yeah it, you know? well it, it reads as much smaller than like the one in um in the movie mm-hmm. like this this strikes me as like almost a small like unknowable little beast like something mm-hmm. from the wastelands you know and uh yeah that's and a good point, so actually. I know, and I kind of love um, just the idea that, and I think that's why they're so marveled by how much it's eating, uh, because Mm -hmm. it's like, this seems like a small, like they say it's like a child's casket, you know, like it's not like it's a huge monster. So I think that's something that's really neat about it too, but. um, but Maybe it's a baby. Maybe it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I love that. Just starting. Um, (laughs) um, So yeah, any other, uh, any other thoughts on the crate before we talk about Creepshow 2? 
I so I had a question based on these two stories. Yeah. Um, do they fit in Night Shift for you if you had to put them in there? I think yes. so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was part of the fun for me. Like, cause my 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 guess my concern with weeds was that you already have body horror with I am the doorway, and mm-hmm. you know also with gray matter in this in the sense too. Does weeds fit in there, or does it feel like too much like redundancy? Maybe that's why he held back on putting it in there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'd love to hear the reasoning for why he never collected uh, these two stories because they're both great. Yeah. And he clearly mm-hmm. was a. I mean, he was. I mean, he was probably marketing a lot of his stories as trying to get paid. But I think, like, yeah, clearly there was something that held him off. And maybe he just never published Jordy Verrill because he liked the version or collected Jordy Verrill because he liked the version that was in Creepshow or something. I don't know, but it, or it's preferred just so it. Weird. It's just weird to think of like, so July, 1979, he's well off at that point. Like, what is he doing pitching to like a gallery? Like, it's just so interesting. I, I, I'd love to pick his fucking brain about this stuff. Like, it just doesn't, yeah. it, it really yeah. doesn't make sense. Like The old habits die hard, you know? I mean, he's still a working writer. Like, I've, he probably wasn't, I think he was making good money, but I don't think he was making like, and I'm speaking like, out of my ass right now. Money. Yeah, I don't think he was making fucking yeah. money at this point in his career. I mean, I think The Stand, well, The Shining, I too, I think too. It was when all the movies started coming out that I think he started becoming the point. household name. And um, a lot of the movies, I think, you know, they were still, and like, you know, when The Shining came out, it wasn't like it was a big hit or anything. Like that was, yeah. that yeah. movie was panned upon its release. So, so, um, so yeah, I don't know. I think maybe he was. There's maybe just parts of these stories that maybe he was insecure about, or just didn't think they fit the the, the theme or the tone of the collections. But they feel to me very much of that era of King, which is that they're they're nasty, mean little stories uh, where you know the horror very much takes present uh, like. Um, takes precedence over the humanity of it all. Like these are you know yes. pretty. These are people who aren't. Um, necessarily noble in any way uh and and in the end it's like the horror wins and um Mm -hmm. and they're and they die or like you know i mean even with like the crate like where the these guys ostensibly overcome the crate but it's like there's still something horrifying about what they've done too and like we're we're Mm -hmm. stuck in this story with like no characters that we're siding with or like rooting for you know what i mean it's just all these like shitty people whereas jordy verrill is just so pathetic and sad and um and i think that suits a lot of the characters and stuff that we see in night shift so yeah like everybody's doomed you know what i mean right I think they would fit in Skeleton Crew, though, you know, and I think you could take out the tales of the laundry people, whatever those two short stories are that are gross. Because, yeah, like, that's actually that a good point. Le- <laughs> like- yeah, because I mean, that one leaning, that's my favorite collection, but there are some stinkers in there. But it's leaning a little toward more towards the nuance and less away from the men's magazine vibes. But you still have some mean stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And I think this would fit well like this would this feels like it could be after the one where the frogs eat people, you know, and then. <laughs> The Jordy Verrill story, it's there's a lot of humanity in it, even though it is like mean and gross, yeah. right? You know, yeah, so yeah, I'd put it there and, and leave Night Shift alone because that's yeah, Night Shift pretty is perfect, pretty perfect. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah. yeah, I can't think of too many or whatever. I don't think I could take any of them out, really. I mean, I'd have to go back. Is there the wedding singer or is that the, the wedding? The wedding, game? oh, yeah, that's, that's in Skeleton, skeleton Crew, crew that's a Skeleton yeah. Crew, yeah. yeah, yeah, not a fan of that yeah, one, not a great one, yeah. So, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't take anything out of the night shift. So let's talk about Pinfall. I'm going to read what Bryant sent along with this when he sent it to us because this feels like a pretty good uh, 
uh, breakdown of, of what we're discussing here. So when Creepshow 2 was made in the 80s, it was originally intended to contain five segments. Two were cut from the screenplay before filming began for budgetary reasons. The Cat from Hell, which was later resurrected for the Tales from the Dark Side movie, and later collected in Just After Sunset. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that when uh, we get to Just After Sunset. And Pinfall, an original. Like uh, Old Chief Woodenhead and The Hitchhiker, Pinfall was scripted by George Romero based on story outlines by King. How extensive the story Islands were, I don't know. My guess is that they were relatively detailed, but that uh, we should consider them to be collaborations between King and Romero. In any case, a 2016 special edition Blu-ray of Creepshow 2, including a comic book adaptation of Pinfall by artist Jason Mayo. This was the first ever release of any version of Pinfall. Um, and Brian also sent along some drafts of the screenplay. So I've, I've read the uh, version that was in the original screenplay as well as the comic. And so the story in this one basically is about bowling and um it's very it feels very creep show to me um and i enjoy that but there's it's it's essentially a snobs versus slobs take uh like riff that um ends with a lot of uh you know zombies and violence so basically there's like a team of pretty boys pretty boy bowlers who have a team called the wait what was it mike it was your the name regimen the regimen <laughs> and they're like very uh buff and cool and good looking and then there's like this slobby group of guys uh, i think the guy's name is chooch is like the the main guy mm-hmm. and uh it's like if sons of anarchy had a bowling team. yeah so but they like to drink beer they like to party they love to bowl they're just good old boys uh and what i love is like like, I feel like in that era, they probably would have made the, the regimen the heroes and not the um, the motorcycle guys. Uh, or I guess they're not motorcycle guys. I guess I was thinking of Sons of Anarchy. But but uh, I'll say, like, <laughs> the, the beer guzzlers would have been the bad guys. But here, the beer guzzlers get to be the good guys. Uh, like, what kind of uh, kicks off the story is there's an old man who's bowling, who's very, very old, not very good. And the regiment are very mad at him for taking up space on the lanes. Whereas the beer guzzlers are like, nah, man, you're cool. Like, uh, come bowl with us. You'll be honorary member of our team and they like get them drunk and they're all having the best time ever and then it turns out that the old man was actually like a, a billionaire <laughs> in like the community and he had the best time with these beer guzzlers and uh and then he passes away and um and basically promises that he'll leave a good chunk of money to whoever wins the bowling tournament obviously hoping it'll be his boys uh but the regiment, who are a, 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 a very bad group of boys, they sabotage the beer guzzlers by, like, fucking with their van, which then drives off a cliff as they're, like, all still chanting some beer slogan. I can't remember what it is, but it's very silly and very funny. But then their their van flies off a cliff. They all die in a huge explosion, fire everywhere. The regimen um, act very tortured in the media reports about it. Like, oh, they were great bowlers, but, you know, um, uh, may the best man win, and, you know, and all this other. And they're very insincere. And then... Um, during the as they're practicing near the end of the tournament, all the lights go out in the bowling alley and the resurrected zombies of the the beer guzzlers and the old man come back to wreak havoc on these monsters and um including it's as many bowling themed deaths it's ridiculous <laughs> so. in, that, in that sense yes yeah. like a guy gets uh skewered by uh like the hot dog um rotisserie mm. a guy gets skewered by that a guy gets his head slammed into a video game uh screen and then um the thing that punches the holes in bowling balls that's how the main bad guy the main leader of the regiment is 
is killed is uh, he gets some some bowling holes punched in his head. So it's very silly, very fun. Uh, and the zombies are described in a really fun way. I have a description of that that I'm going to pull. But um, but yeah, what do you guys think? Like, well, how did you feel? Do you wish this was included in Creepshow 2 over some of the other ones? I, I mean, for me, this feels emblematic of what I think is the problem with Creepshow 2. Okay. Is that... You know, with if you look back at the first creep show, most there's it, it has like a, an athletic pacing to it. I mean, it, it kind of stops and you know sits around in some of the stories a little bit, you know, but at, to a point, you know, where they knows that it has to get going. Creep show two, um, you know, with the exception of the raft, what I think is pretty lean and mean and, and great. Um, it like like it just goes on for too long. I mean, there's only three stories in it. Like the original creature had five. Like it's yeah. it's it's ridiculous to think that like they only have three, and it's because it's like old chief Woodenhead. I'm not I'm not even kidding. I, I had to clock it, but I'm, we talked about it in the creature episode. I want to say it's like forty minutes. Like or and like it's 35, awful. And it's awful. It is yeah, awful and offensive. Yeah, <laughs> and I think with reading this, I think there are a lot of great ideas, and I think it's very creep show. But I actually think it works almost better now as like a as a creep show episode for the show where you can be thirty mm-hmm. minutes, and as opposed to there's just a lot going on in this story to be a segment. I feel, you know, like pinfall. You mean? Yeah. Like there's yeah. just a lot of setup, a lot of story. And then we get like a huge payoff at mm-hmm. the end yeah. with these shard beer guzzling zombies, like uh, killing these guys in creative ways. But yeah, a bit too much straining. I think at the beginning to set up the story, yeah. it reminds me of Mr. Harrigan's phone. I mean, just the idea of like the benevolent billionaire who kind of uh, wreaks havoc from the dead um, mm-hmm. on on uh, on the enemies of of those who it it cared about and uh, yeah I think I think this one's fun um, I would have loved to see the final sequence but yeah totally. like you said yeah. it's just it's too much setup for the big payoff yeah Jen. I loved this. (laughs) This is is so not my thing. Like, I'm not a big fan of graphic novels because I usually find them too, like, overly visually stimulating for me. Um, And I, this is really gross and gory, but I don't know. Something about this just really got me. I will say I did not read the screenplay. I only looked at the panels. Uh And I think it works really well in that Mm -hmm. format because you're just kind of, like, you gloss over. Like, I don't need to read every beat of them. I can just see five heads rolling. You know, and there's I can't remember if it's in on writing or Don's Macabre, but King writes about this, um, this story that he remembers reading that is very similar to this, but it's like baseball. And there was this bad baseball player guy who was evil. And like he I think it might even be like that he sabotaged the other team and they died and then they came back and they like tore his body apart and they like played baseball with his bones, you know, and so it's very similar as like playing. And so as soon as I saw like the first couple of page pages of this i was like oh they're gonna fucking bowl with some heads and i am (laughs) down with that so and especially seeing because like the regimen they have like um the lead guy reggie who what a narcissist (laughs) team after you you know but he's got dark hair and he's got this like twirly little mustache you know and then everybody else is blonde and identical. And so I was like, yeah, those are going to be bowling heads. And it was. And it was so much fun. And I just, I loved this. I thought it was, I don't think I would want to see this brought to life. I think I really enjoyed it just on the page the with these illustrations. So that was really cool. Yeah. 
I, uh, I'm going to read this little section from the screenplay. I think it's a fun description uh, lacking um, if you don't have access to the comic. But it says, Standing outside in dim light from the dying fluorescence is a large pear-shaped dead man. He's been burned to a crisp. <laughs> the crust is flaking off in spots, revealing bone. He seems to be decomposing even as we watch. It's surprising how limber he is given his condition. He grabs Regiman number two and drags him out of the locker room before the guy even has a chance to scream. And then we get like this just absurd... Uh, collection of murders but uh this one i really like um wait let me get it ready here uh the thing grabs regiman number three by the shoulders and flings him headfirst into the giant video screen at the head of the machine which happens to be poetically enough a big league bolathon machine we catch a glimpse of videographic ten pins the regiman's head seems to bowl a clean strike then the screen implodes electric sparks fly everywhere smoke starts to leak out of the man's pores out from under his team shirt out of his pant legs as he fries in the yellow red current uh and then we get rm number four is running past the refreshment stand when he is grabbed from behind by a fourth well-done corpse the thing takes the scruff of his neck in one hand the seat of his pants in the other and swings him back the way a bouncer would before flinging a drunk out the door the regiment screams as the crispy critter pitches him face first into the hot dog rotisserie his screams cut off sharply when the rotisserie prongs bite into him a bright orange light comes on inside the unit and we can see the man's face being melted by the microwaves just before we cut away uh so i just kind of love the cartoony uh ultra violent and very silly nature of these murders and I can see it yeah and that's the fun thing about the script is you can sort of like imagine how it would have looked on the screen but the comic is sort mm. of a really great alternative to having that so yeah if you do get oh, it yeah. if you do get access to it I mean I imagine maybe if you google it you'll be able to find some some screens of it but uh but yeah yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it oh. just goes to show, I mean, like, thematically, like, you know, this is something that's kind of itching at, like, stuff that you know, has always bothered Romero. You know, like, he's always had a soft side for the elderly, and as we saw this year uh, with the Shutter exclusive uh, oh, yeah. amusement park, which I got to say, if you want to feel bad for 30 minutes or 40 <laughs> minutes, just soul-crushingly bad, like, if you're, like, thinking, like, I'm having such a good day today, like, I, I really love life, let's ruin that and derail it and do a total 180 <laughs> watch amusement park um it's a it's a it's a crushing movie about just how the, the reality of aging and the society that doesn't sustain it well pinfall is but pinfall gives the old man a little bit of revenge exactly so. yeah yeah that, that's why i like i do think this would work for a creep show episode today because the, the creep show of today allows room for more drama you know, um, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's, I mean, that's kind of one of its faults. I feel like sometimes it's just like, all right, we don't need to, you know, I don't need to <laughs> try in this people. episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the, 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 the relationships that you could get in here, especially with like, you know, the old man and like the other, you know, the good guys, you could do a lot there. And like, it's so pulpy. I, I want to say, and like, I was trying to find the interview. I can't remember if it was the one we had because we talked to Greg Nicotero last year. I want to say he mentioned this story and like how. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I feel like this wouldn't, I feel like this will have a life one day. I mean, and go beyond just being a comic book. Um, you know. Well, especially if people want to capture some like not 80s or 90s nostalgia uh, is just set something in a bowling alley. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, totally. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a pretty easy, like contained way to kind of harken back to uh, simpler times. And uh, not that, not to say that bowling alleys aren't a thing anymore, but they're definitely not as, as you know, prevalent as they used to be. Gotta love so. bowling alleys. Yeah. Bring I, 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 Every time we go to bowling alleys, you know, it's rare. 
Um, but when we do, I'm always like, man, I got to come here more often. And then like, for some reason, I guess like I get like, you know, the men in black come up and they like zap me and I totally forget how much fun I have. And I don't go back for five years. Like it's just every time yeah. it's, I, I, it's such a good pastime and, uh, it's a timeless pastime. Jen, are you a good yeah. bowler? Yeah. I mean, I'm not great, but I used to have a weekly bowling night oh, nice. and we weren't, oh. yeah. When I was uh, waiting tables, we had Tuesday nights were a bowling night. Yeah. The best thing about bowling is like cheap pitcher beers. That's awesome mm-hmm. and there's usually like a pool table and a jukebox like we had yeah i used to bowl all the time um but i also played restaurant league softball and we were just there for like yeah whatever that we don't have to work sunday night because we're on this team so we get to just hang out and have fun and just you know kind of just get shit faced on the field and then there were always these like regimen type teams that would show up and they were like still bitter because they're not playing like major league softball right now (laughs) and they would take it way too seriously was not fun like they would just stand there and make you pitch them and this is like fucking restaurant league underhand pitch softball like just swing at the fucking ball so i was reading this and i was like yeah get those regiments (laughs) i know i uh that might have been part of why i liked it so much i was visiting my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law in um in ohio recently and we went to my nephew jack's uh outdoor like touch soccer you know or like um what was it touch football touch soccer something like that and Flag uh, football? yeah something like that you know it was one of those mm. you know it's like because he's like six and um and the kids were all playing and they were adorable and they're like little children and they're just kind of running around like little you know goofballs and um and mm. you know they have no idea what they're really doing except for like one or two kids but there was like one dad that was near us and everybody's you know all the parents are having a good time but there's one dad just like kick it motherfucker you know <laughs> like he, he was just like swearing. He was like yelling. He was like really worked up about his kid. And he wasn't like yelling it, but he was like under his breath, like in the way that we could all hear. Like it's like some people cannot any sort of sporting event, even if children are involved, like are going to get worked up about it. My dad is one of these people. Um, I swear to God, I never wanted my dad to come to any sports things I did when I was a kid because he was always in the stands screaming and yelling. Uh, he did that for my brother a lot, but um, I'll never forget growing up because I was in, I had to, be, I was forced to do soccer. Um, heavy kid in soccer, not good, at, not a good mix. And so they always have you know, defense and I'll never forget when, you know, we were on a good team, like really good team. And there's a reason for it. And it's because the coach was so obsessed with winning that he went through this long fucking scheme of like looking for kids that looked older than us, but still, <laughs> or no, that looking for kids that were older, but looked like us. So he would get older kids on the team to win. And he finally was outed. And they, they, you know, they, they put, they, you know, they're like, oh, scandal. The scan. There was a scandal for fucking like, like I'm talking like fourth grade, fourth grade soccer. And I'm like, man, like how long, like how far do you have to go <laughs> to like have to scandalize oh. soccer for fourth graders? Like fucking ridiculous. I mean, I don't know. It was like Nixon wow. leaving the White House when we when it because I remember it <laughs> happened at the fucking uh, when we were one of the games. And I just remember him leaving, and we never saw him again. I was like, in cuffs? No, not in cuffs, but I guess like leaving. <laughs> just like, right, into um, the ocean. <laughs> yeah, just leaving. That would have been hilarious if it was in cuffs. It's like, uh, put your head down. Um, you know. You're going to jail. What were you going to say, Jen? Um, well, we started, my son played um, Little League, and he is six, and it's coach pitch baseball. And so there was this team where the coach and the assistant coach had this like elaborate plan where when the first 
bass player who is six and just learning how to throw a ball, he would pretend to miss the ball and then have his player steal the bass. Oh like these are fucking six year olds. Yeah, it like it was a big scandal because we were like, no, no, no. And like the coach, our coach has gotten a big fight in the middle of the field with him. And we were like, OK, chill out. It's fine. And then we found out why, because they had been tipped off by one of the other teams. They're like, look, watch out for them there. He's going to pretend to miss the ball. It was so it's like. Uh, it's embarrassing. It, yeah, it's Jesus just so embarrassing. It, the did you have to? Did you know like the kids also that were like because the thing that was worse with this was like yeah, that's the, the thing. It's like these are kids; the, they feel bad. You know? And the coaches usually have their kids playing with on their team, which was the case for mine. And I remember like the kid being like so fucking like just demoralized. Like I couldn't be- he couldn't believe it. Right. And, like it, I don't know. He looked like the kid in the in the back of kindergarten cop that just keeps like crashing the cars <laughs> at the end of it. Like like he just like he I, like he's we'd go into class and be like, yeah, exactly. He's like he's a poo head. And he's like we we're like, no, he used to be on the top. He used to be on the top, and his father fucked it all up for him. So great kindergarten cop yeah. drop. I'm always happy with those. Always kindergarten uh-huh. drops. So. It's a Gotta it's a great film. You've yeah. never seen it, John. Oh, no, I've seen oh, it a okay. billion times. Good. I want to watch it again. Yeah, hi, highly recommended. It's always good. Uh, anyways, so we good. went pretty far from this creep show 2 story with those, <laughs> but I think that was uh, a lot of fun. And um, hey, what better thing can art do than inspire personal reflection? So thank <laughs> right. you, Pinfall, and thank you... <laughs> The crate and weeds. This has been a really and thank you, kindergarten cop. And thank oh, you, yeah. kindergarten cop. Uh, it's not a tuma. Perpetually. Um, yes, <laughs> and uh, it's crisp. Uh, this was a fun discussion. Um, yeah, Mike, what should we plug at the end of this episode for our Patreon listeners? I think there's a storm coming. Yeah, we got storm of the century. Oh. Exactly. We got um, Colm Fjord. Is that his name? I, I'm Colm obsessed Fjord. with He's this. He's excellent in this. Obsessed with this name. He's in Face Off. Is yeah, it? he plays like a doctor in Face Off who gets killed. All right, so I know who he is then. Okay, yeah, okay, I know he's he great. Yeah. Uh, him and CCH Pounder, and then uh, uh, Robert Wisdom all get burned alive, and it sucks. And then, uh, but then when Nick Cage finds out Tito died, he goes Tito, and it's like one of my favorite <laughs> deliveries in any movie. Um, uh, we're a little sorry. delirious. Okay, well this was fun. Yeah. We got Storm of the Century on the way. We got a lot of other fun stuff on the way too. So uh, stay tuned. What's uh, we're doing Pet Cemetery commentary as well, which is going to be are, awesome. Yeah, Jen, yeah. you're on that. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. um, much, much fun, much goodness, and we hope you're having a great holiday season. Speaking of Halloween, Mel and I have our limited series podcast, Randall and Mel's Month of Halloween Hell. Please tune in for that. Um, lots of good discussions there. Lots of movies. Much fun. So. Cool. Should we all sign off? Yeah. All right. Long days. And, and pleasant. And pleasant. Night. Nice. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. This is the end of our show for now we hope you enjoyed this production if you like our programming consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts such as creepy horror queers the boo crew scp archives nightlight margaret's garden and more 
Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.